0: This is episode 49 with pro triathlete, two times Ironman champion, and the CEO and co-founder of Picky Bars, Mr. Jesse Thomas. Hey everyone, welcome back. You're listening to the Strength Running Podcast where I attempt to tease out actionable training strategies to help you improve and make more strategic decisions about your running. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, the head coach of Strength Running, and we've got a great show for you today, I hope, (laughs) with elite Ironman triathlete Jesse Thomas. We're going to talk about his diet and fueling habits, which are extraordinary, and how you can learn from one of the hardest-working triathletes in the sport. First, a shout-out to Health IQ for making this show possible. They have a simple mission, to help healthy people Pay less for life insurance. It's a good deal considering healthy people live longer and healthier lives. So check out healthiq.com/slash/strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on insurance. I also want to thank an anonymous runner from Chicago who has left me probably the nicest review of the podcast on iTunes. Runner Fan from Chicago wrote, love Jason's podcast. I'm always looking for something new to listen to on my long run, and this one is my new fave. What I really appreciate is his ability to consolidate a wealth of information in a short, digestible format. No fluff, just straight, useful knowledge. I really appreciate that, random runner from Chicago. If you're listening and haven't left your review of the podcast, please do. It would mean the world to me. All right, in the spirit of no fluff, let's dive into today's topic fueling for performance. Jesse Thomas, he's the co founder and CEO of Picky Bars, an energy bar company that he started with his wife and former pro runner, who you might know, Lauren Fleshman. He went pro in triathlon in 2011, and since then he's won two Ironmans, competed at Kona, and shared a lot of the lessons he's learned along the way on Outside Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Triathlete.com, and many other media sites. And so you'll notice near the end of our conversation, Jesse had the idea to offer you guys a discount, and he pulled through. So code PICKY20, there's a capital P in there, will get you 20% off any order at pickybars.com. So I hope you enjoy that. He certainly didn't need to offer that code, but I'm glad he did because picky bars are delicious. Uh, Try the smooth caffeinator and you'll see what I mean. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Thomas.
1: It's interesting because I uh, this this was one of the more popular ones that I ones that I wrote. Uh, that but it was one of the first ones that I ever did. It's crazy. It was literally just like the first time I ever logged my eating or anything.
0: Were you surprised? Horrified?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I mean it was pretty much I think you know the way what I thought you know more or less. But um, but it was interesting to see kind of the see the data, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. You you never really know until you, until you write it down, you know, what's, what's going on. So yeah, it was good though.
0: And then you objectively have this huge list of food that you've eaten over the course of a week and there's no arguing with that. No, totally.
1: Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. I remember thinking people were always asking me, well, how much do you eat? What do you eat? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, to be honest, I don't really know. So maybe I should write it down and let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, it was a lot.
0: You know, I, I really love looking at the the habits and the training strategies of elite athletes because I mean you guys are the best and you're doing things at the highest level. So I, I think it's always really instructive for uh you know, us us mere mortals. And so I I guess let's start with big picture stuff. Yeah. Do you follow a quote diet? No. There we go. That was simple.
1: Yep. <laughs> for, for that, that's the that's the one word and the and the actual answer. Um, no, I think, um, you know, diets, uh, a diet to me is almost like a four letter word because it's, it's, I mean, in that it is a four letter word, but you know what I mean? Um, the, there, uh, I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of like a trend in a diet and think that if you do something, um, kind of, you know, for the most part, a lot of diets, like semi-radical in one way, shape, or another, uh, it will lead to better uh, health habits for you. And what it usually does is lead to somewhat better health habits in some ways, and somewhat worse health habits in other ways for about four to ten weeks, and then you, and then, and then you're done. And, um, and there are a lot of studies that show that, you know, like the stickiness of like of diets is, is not very sticky. And so for me, I've kind of always been like I've always approached eating moderately and, and I guess with moderation. And so you could call that a diet if you want, but it's really just about um, trying to eat healthy, but not trying to be too strict about anything in particular, and if I'm doing that and I'm doing that long term and I'm doing that consistently over the course of weeks and months and years, then I'm probably overall being a lot healthier than I would be if I was trying to to follow something that was like, you know, really prescriptive, restricting for, you know, six weeks every three months. Does that make sense?
0: yeah definitely and and I think one of the things you mentioned that I'd love to touch a little bit more on was that aspect of stickiness to the diet and you know if you know you talk to a registered dietitian they'll probably talk about adherence rates and I think that's the same thing it's basically um you know how how well are you able to stay with the diet over a long period of time and you know I've certainly a- explored different fueling and 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 eating uh yep. I don't want to say diets but just say, approaches to nutrition, yep. uh, just really for because I was curious, and I wanted to try them out. Yep. And that was always my number one complaint uh, was that it's just harder to do. And I'm kind of a man of simplicity, I don't want to think about, you know, a formal diet structure and and worry about, you know, all these different rules in my diet. So uh, I, I think that's a huge benefit just to eating, uh, you know, kind of a I'll say a traditional American diet, but I I don't mean that as the kind of slur that we typically hear it as, you know, it's really like eat healthy, real food just because you're eating a normal American diet doesn't mean that you're eating all this processed stuff and, uh, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, agree. I think the only like kind of guidelines, um, I would say that I follow is, yeah, I try to eat, you know, I try to eat real food as much as I possibly can. Um, so, you know, just basic fruits and vegetables and grains and, uh, uh, you know, meat and fish and, and, and dairy or, or, you know, whatever kind of like a, as close ish to the source stuff as I can, um, for the majority of my meals. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I stay away from like heavily processed foods, just, I don't say but but even saying that like it's not like I avoid them at all costs you know I just try to make the majority of my calories come from those other sources um and then for me there's some real there's some there's some more I wouldn't say rules but guidelines I follow around like uh fueling kind of before during and after workouts um and maybe how I structure my day a little bit uh calorically but I think but but those are those are still pretty much generalizations like the overall thing i think that i try to do and i've written this before is like i kind of aim for like a b plus if if that makes sense in that i try to be mostly healthy but i don't try to uh restrict myself too much where i'm built in any one way shape or form in, in any specific caloric category where i'm building up uh you know, uh, I don't know the likeliness to want to like feel the need to binge on something later on or, or, or like I'm really depriving my body of, uh, in my mind of something that it feels like it wants, you know?
0: Do you feel that because you really don't deprive yourself of anything that you really want? Um, I'm sure if, if you want a bacon cheeseburger or if you want some ice cream, you're going to eat it. Do you, do you yeah. feel that not depriving yourself is is actually a good thing in the long term?
1: Absolutely. And and, um, and I've, you know, uh, I have real experience with this. And, and I'll qualify everything I say with flat out, you know, saying, hey, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist even. I'm just a – I'm an athlete that's been at a high level of performance for a long, long time. I'm 38 now. I've been racing – since I like let's say semi-seriously since I was about 15 years old so long time and uh, I ran collegiately and then race now professionally triathlon right for the last eight years and so you know all of my kind of advice is based on my experience and the experience of others that I've either raced with or or in inter- or enact- interacted with um but yeah, you know, I, I do believe that there is a real tendency in endurance athletics and in sports in general to, uh, uh, it's a lot of type A personalities that you wanna do the best that you possibly can, do every workout, do every uh, exercise exactly the way that it's supposed to be, eat every calorie the way that you, um, that it is most optimized on a piece of paper. And I think that that tends to lead to uh, um, that type of thinking tends to lead to burnout in all those various ways. And the burnout that happens nutritionally, I believe, is relapsing or lap- or lapsing from your you know kind of healthy diet to like binging and purging and uh, you know uh, feeling like you've built up this crazy amount of need for something that you've been restricting from yourself and that ultimately hurts you a lot more than just kind of letting yourself have it every once in a while that makes sense and 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 not to get crazy deep into it but I wrote about this as well in, in one of my triathlete magazine articles that you know I had I have direct experience with that I would I would say I was never clinically diagnosed but was a bulimic um distance runner when I was um in college and uh bulimic in the sense that um i'd try to throw up but but couldn't really throw up but 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 the definition of bulimia is, is actually more about like extreme binges and purges and i think when i was when i was younger and trying to like i said optimize every facet of my life around athletics because i thought that that was the way to be as good as you possibly could i struggled with that a bunch and in doing so i did uh experience a ton of that kind of like binging purging uh cycles they got they got very you know that it got like I, I would say probably clinically extreme at the time
0: so jesse first thanks for opening up and sharing that with us and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad that Part of the answer to that was not seeking perfection all the time. Um, and, you know, as a running coach, I'm always trying to get runners to think about this w- around their training, too. You don't have to execute every workout perfectly. Your mileage doesn't have to be exactly on the dot what, you know, the coach recommends for the week. And I think there is there is that real danger of over-prioritizing executing the plan, the diet, whatever it might be, to perfection, because that's really hard. And it does lead to burnout. And I think it, it leads to those low adherence rates that, you know, we were talking about before. It's, it's just not sticky. You can't maintain it for a long period of time. Uh, now, you mentioned earlier uh, how sometimes around, you know, there's kind of a difference between eating and fueling. And fueling is a little bit more specific for, especially with endurance athletes. Can you talk about more how you think about fueling and how maybe your principles of eating change a little bit when when you start to more specifically talk about fueling itself?
1: Yeah. Um, so fueling for me, that what I would call fueling, just for any listeners that aren't familiar with the term, would be. Uh, basically your your caloric consumption in and around exercise. So in maybe starting anywhere from uh, 30 to 60 minutes before uh, through the duration of your exercise and then for, and then for the uh, well maybe up to 60 to 90 minutes after, after exercise as well but really in that first like 30 minutes after exercise and that's what I would call fueling and that's that's a little bit different than what I eat just like you said like thinking about how I eat kind of my meals outside of that fueling window and for me uh fueling there there are a couple different things uh it still is born out of the same basic principles which are balanced eating. Um, but what, but what I try to do is I try to make sure that I'm getting an, uh, appropriate, uh, kind of balance of carbohydrate, protein, and fat, um, into my system that helps me, uh, you know, basically best perform whatever it is I'm trying to do. Um, for me, uh, you know, that, uh, what it is that I'm trying to do kind of changes based on the you know, intensity of the workout, the duration of the workout, and stuff like that. But the general principles are that um, every uh, 30 to 60 minutes, if I'm going over an hour, um, I'm going to be taking in 100 to 200 calories of a balanced – uh, carbohydrate, primarily carbohydrate with some protein and fat source, um, into, uh, into my stomach. And, uh, you know, and it's no secret that I have an energy bar company called picky bars and it's no secret that we created my wife and I, and, and our co-founder Steph created picky bars, uh, specifically for this purpose in to create a, 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 energy bar that was balanced macronutrient-wise, meaning a, 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 what we believe is, a, is the best balance of carbohydrate, protein, and fat for in and around endurance exercise that, that was made of real food ingredients, so you're not just digesting kind of overly processed, uh, you know, whatever out there. You're, you're eating real food, but in a balanced way. And so the majority, like you, if you read my articles from Triathlete Magazine, I mean, the majority of the fueling that I do is with picky bars. It's basically a picky bar to two every hour of exercise. And then um, something uh, similar, like a picky bar, about, I would say about 200 calories. Um, It could tend to be a little bit more protein, but but still the majority of what your body wants and needs post-exercise is carbohydrate. Um, and that, and you want to ingest that within ideally 20 minutes kind of after any type of exercise as well. And that's a super important, um, part of it. And then you want to balance the rest of your caloric intake to refuel your glycogen stores. Um, so whatever you burned ideally within the next like 60 to 90 minutes of being done. So what all that means, uh, this is a very long answer to your question. So sorry I'm kind of going along, but I'm, I'm trying to explain it all. No, I love it. Uh, yep, is, uh, is for me. So just to give an example, um, if I had a two hour bike ride, let's say, I would go, uh, I'd make sure that I wasn't famished when I started. Um, and then I would, uh, and if I was, if I felt like I was very, uh, you know, um, If I was going into it kind of uh, underfed, then I would eat something like a picky bar uh, probably anywhere from five to 30 minutes before. And then every 30 minutes, I would take in, let's say, a picky bar, maybe a picky bar and a half, maybe two picky bars, depending on how hungry I am. And then uh, so during the course of that two hours, I'm maybe taking in two to four picky bars. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm eating one as well right away. And then in the next uh, 60 to 90 minutes after my workout, I'm trying to uh, eat uh, some type of balanced meal that, that maybe is more heavily carbohydrate um, because I'm refueling my glycogen stores uh, from that workout uh, that I just did. And uh, and that would be, yeah, and that would basically be it. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe pasta with chicken or maybe just... I don't know, anything, something with bread or or potatoes or quinoa or rice or whatever it is that you, you have a good a solid carbohydrate source there um, while also getting in some healthy protein and fat.
0: So it sounds like you define fueling as what you're eating pre, during and post workout. And one of the exceptions you make to that fueling window is that most of the calories can be very carbohydrate rich, you know, you're, you, you don't really want a lot of fat or a lot of protein just because it's not the body's preferred fuel source. Is that, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it depends. The, the Like I said, uh, kind of in that long statement too, it depends a little bit on intensity. So lower intensity, uh, workouts, I think you can get away with a little lower intensity and longer duration workouts. I think you can get away with a little more fat and protein, because so your body kind of has time to gi- digest it, and it's there's less strain on your stomach in trying to digest it. And then, uh, but then, higher intensity workouts, you want to even, I think you want to, you want to, well, you definitely want to churn turn more towards uh, higher carbohydrates, simple sugar, uh, energy sources.
0: Right now, you're a triathlete, so you're competing. Uh, I'm sorry. Completing more training sessions per week typically than a runner would. Uh, yeah. So how many how many individual you know, workouts or training sessions are you doing in a given week?
1: Um, it's usually around eighteen to twenty. So it's like it's like two to three ish, closer to three ish a day, uh, for me. And I yeah. assume
0: that that necess- necessitates more food in general. Is, is there a strategy for how you eat around? two or three workouts per day, does that mean your entire day is kind of spent fueling? Uh or are you eating thirty piggy bars in a day? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: It 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 really is, honestly. Uh or or not not that I'm really eating thirty piggy bars a day, but um but it it really is there you're kind of you're kind of constantly eating at that at that time. Um, What's nice about uh, triathlon versus running, right? Because I, I mean, like I said, I was a runner for a long time before I was a triathlete. Is that you can, um, you know, like a bit like you can eat while you're exercising, you know, like particularly on the bike, um, but even on the side of the pool, and um, and you and you can you're also like your stomach is less susceptible to being upset. So like I can have I can you know, finish a hard swim session, eat a pretty hearty lunch and go straight onto a bike, onto a bike ride and and not have a problem where if I did that running, you'd be in a, you'd be in rough shape. So usually before my runs, you know, it's you, I'm usually at least an hour or two, if not more without eating just to settle my stomach. Um, but yeah, but a lot of it is, uh, is uh, that kind of like constant, um, you know, fueling, refueling post-workout, getting in a meal and then going into the next workout and doing the same thing over and over again.
0: Well, as someone who spent about two months competing in triathlon uh, right after my college running career, one of the things I loved about cycling was that I could eat a lot right before I got on the bike. And that's like one of my biggest pet peeves about running is that you have to time your food intake and kind of what the structure of your meal is if you're going to be running fairly soon. And I remember I ate, I ate, this is Probably not recommended, but <laughs> I ate an entire meal from Kentucky Fried Chicken and then went on like a thirty mile bike ride and yeah. I had a lot of energy it was great yeah totally yeah I mean it <laughs> makes
1: sense you know it's it, it, it's so much easier for your body uh you know for your stomach I guess to digest food when it's not uh being wrenched up and down all the time like you like it is out on a run
0: yeah there's too much bouncing up and down yeah now um let's take a step back from fueling and let's talk about how your diet or your kind of nutrition strategy changes depending on either the season or uh the phase of training that you might be in during the season uh or your your workload like how do you how do you think about that
1: that's a great question and and i'm glad that you asked it because i'm i meant to circle back to that when i talked about my overall kind of you know nutritional approach uh what I will say is that I, like I said at the begin, very beginning of of our conversation, I, I keep it pretty moderate and and pretty balanced um, throughout the year. But I do let myself be more restrictive during the peak times of my season and like my peak racing and, and kind of my, my peak training. Um, and then I, and then I kind of veer over to the other side and let myself be way less restrictive during my kind of off season and base building phases. Um, so what that would mean, uh, as an example is that, uh, you know, as I'm going into Kona, for instance, which was my last big race in October, um, that last, let's say, ten to twelve weeks, I'm training really hard, really specifically for that race, and I am fueling really well, just like you, just like I described around uh, in and around the exercise, in and around my exercise. I'm eating really healthy, like I've, I'm I'm more on that. Like if I'm going from a B plus average. I'm, I'm going up to like an A minus there where, where I'm trying to definitely get in the number of calories I need to fuel my training and to, to, to maintain health and maintain energy. But I'm trying to get the majority of those calories from like clean, really clean sources. So I'm limiting my alcohol intake a little bit more. I'm limiting like my straight sugar intake, at least outside of, um, outside of, of actual exercise, outside of fueling, um, you know, trying, trying to like decrease those a little bit. That doesn't mean I'm going no beer or no alcohol or no ice cream at night or whatever, but I'm just trying to get a little bit like, you know, kind of just turn this, turn the screw, uh, a half a rotation to a full rotation there for about two to three months. And that helps me kind of, uh, you know, to a certain extent, I trim up just a, just a little bit. I I feel you know a kind of at peak form, peak energy, like ready to go. And then and then as soon as that race is over, there's a relaxation point from that that helps counterbalance that kind of two to two to three months that allows me to honestly get through the two to three months knowing that that is coming and then also allows me to then go into the cycle again. So right now I'm at the tail end of, it's been about let's say three months from Kona. Um, you know, as soon as I was done, it was back like, I mean, it was beer season in bend, you know, heavy IPAs a couple few times a week, um, not restricting myself in any way, shape or form with, uh, if I wanted ice cream at night, if I want, uh, you know, the huge popcorn at the movies, I want to take my kid to the candy store and get a box of junior mints or whatever it is, you know, so, um, and, and, and even like, uh, you know, like my normal eating, like I get this, uh, it's kind of a funny example, but I eat, uh, I get a breakfast burrito from the coffee shop right across the street from the picky bars, uh, office pretty much every day right after my swim on my way into the office because I can call it in and depending on the time of year that breakfast burrito will include uh extra cheese or and bacon and it will also include this huge biscotti (laughs) that that these guys make it's basically like an 800 calorie cookie, right? <laughs> and um, and I, I you know you can you can call it a biscotti, so it sounds more extravagant than a cookie, but it's basically an 800 calorie cookie. And during and and that is that biscotti honestly is a very good barometer as to where I am in my season <laughs> because <laughs> if I'm in the if I'm in the the now portion where I'm just kind of just barely kind of getting back into it. I'm still eating a full biscotti with that breakfast burrito and bacon and cheese every day. Um, As I start to get into kind of the beginning early racing season, I'm maybe getting one every two times or maybe eating half of one. And then towards the end, I'm swap, you know, I'm swapping that biscotti uh, in the peak moments in the, in the peak weeks for, you know, some fruit and, or, or like, just more like uh, substantial, more like healthy, whole grain, like uh, carbohydrate or, you know, fueling sources. So it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like my biscotti barometer throughout the course of the year, and it ebbs and flows depending on what time of uh, what phase I'm in in the season.
0: Well, Jesse, not only have you made me starving, but uh, <laughs> I wish we had scheduled this for happy hours so that I could have a nice IPA next to me. I'm right. all excited here. Now, I think I think a lot of people might listen to this and and actually think that y- this approach is counterintuitive. Shouldn't you be eating more and get give yourself a little bit more flexibility when you're in peak training, when your volume is at its highest, when your intensity is at its highest, when your training is at its most difficult? What's the... Uh, is the rationale simply to lean up just a little bit?
1: Yeah, and, and I shouldn't say that I'm, I want to make it really clear I'm not restricting calorie intake, right? Um, that it's more about trying to get as many of my calories from like clean, healthy, like hearty, so- like the, the the best sources as I can. So it's mostly like for me, it's like, for me, there's like a couple things, like I talked about, like, like an 800 calorie cookie, you know what I mean? Like, and it's not that I'm not getting 800 calorie, that I'm cutting 800 calories out of my day because I'm, I'm making up for that somewhere else. Like I'm eating more quinoa or I'm having a bowl of oatmeal with my, with my breakfast burrito or something like that. Um, and it's taking away like, uh, you know stuff like just super high sugar or high or like you know alcohol and and things like that but but never in like never in like a full gas like you know where I'm going weeks without any of that stuff. It's more just trying to trying to get as many of the calories into my system that I'm putting into them into it um, I shouldn't say as many more of a higher percentage of the calories that I'm putting into my system coming from like clean, whole, healthy uh, um, sources. And um, and so I'm definitely still eating the same amount, um, but I think it's just coming from like healthier sources. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and it, it not only makes sense, but it sounds like uh, it works really well for you and One of the things I'll say, too, about the kind of uh, off-season or recovery period or maybe even early base phase, when you give yourself a little bit more latitude to eat, uh, I guess we'll say lesser quality foods, that's probably a good thing in my view because it allows you to... Uh, number one, not worry about your diet. And I think that's important mental component to it, but also to actually maybe gain a couple pounds. And and that's actually a good thing for uh, injury prevention and, and really just for uh, a good, healthy uh, body, because you don't kind of always want to be at like your peak racing weight all the time. So that kind of a you know it's almost like a deloading phase from you know you're really more strict uh, eating during peak training. But it does allow you that little bit of flexibility. And I do think in the long run, it's going to help the average person prevent injuries too.
1: I one hundred percent agree and 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 also maintain longevity um in the sport in whatever sport they're pursuing, you know without burnout. And just as a as an example for your listeners, Uh, you know, I, I don't weigh myself to be honest like that, uh, frequently. I think it can be, um, it can be a little bit too much of a trigger still for me for like, from like back in the running days. But, um, but I do, uh, but I do weigh myself every once in a while. And, um, and I definitely go through, uh, a, well, I mean, I weighed myself a couple weeks ago, and I was about 13 or 14 pounds heavier than I was going into Kona, right? And so that's, and for me, that's going from like a 170 pounds to like a, one, you know, just over 180, let's say. So um, I don't know what percentage of body weight that is, but but it's a pretty big swing, you know? And, um, and I do believe that that is super healthy. Because me at 170 is like a kind of a lean, um, uh, you know, version of myself that is maintainable in I think in a healthy way for about six to eight weeks, and then it's too high risk to uh, to for me to try to be that to, for me to try to be that size for the remainder of the year in terms of of risk of burnout risk of low energy risk of injury everything else so it's definitely like for the majority of my training i'm getting back up into the 180s
0: yeah it sounds like your body weight fluctuates by maybe 5 to 10% which yeah uh, I, I think i think is probably a really good thing and you know yeah. looking back at you know when i was really competing and and running a lot you know up to 90 miles a week I would get down to like 122. Like I have that really thin, typical marathoner frame. But then when I wasn't running so much, I would go up to maybe about 130. So you know we're talking maybe somewhere somewhere around five to ten percent. Um, now, you mentioned alcohol a couple times. Now, I, I'm a big beer guy. I love craft beer. I live in Denver, so I'm, I'm in the right place. What's your view on drinking while you're training? Is it, you know, clearly you do drink a little bit. Is it something that you just try to moderate or how do you think about it?
1: I think for me, you know, uh, for me, drinking is like something that I really enjoy that uh, or, you know, I mean, enjoy drinking. I, I, I enjoy beer. I am a similar, uh, maybe to you. I live in a place that's known for great beer. It's part of the culture here. And it's as much like a kind of a social, uh, you know, part of culture business, you know, going to happy hour with my employees, like, um, way to kind of relax decompress and, and bs with people and i think it's an that to me you work hard in a sport in life in work it's important to allow yourself to relax and to enjoy things that aren't optimized for work or or sport or whatever it is and that's kind of the way that i look at it you know and so for me like uh, beer is uh, is one of those things where it's like it's kind of hard to make like a pure nutritional argument for the, the value of beer in terms of endurance athletics. Yeah, it does have, a, you know, some carbohydrates and blah, blah, blah. But alcohol generally from at least from what I know and, and understand and have read isn't like isn't a great thing to be taking in a whole bunch when you're training when you're training a lot and training hard. But I think it's one of those things that like helps me um, feel balanced mentally and, and even physically and allows me to push hard when I need to push hard knowing that I'm gonna allow myself to slack when I kinda feel like I wanna slack and enjoy and, and have fun. And um, and just like I said, that ebbs and flows the depth of that ebbs and flows throughout the course of the year, but it's kind of always there. And, um, it's just an important part of the, of the balance for me,
0: Jesse, I feel like we're kind of similar, uh, drinkers here. <laughs> um, totally. you know, when, when I'm training for a marathon, I, I like to joke around that I kind of become a monk, you know, during the last two months or so of training. And during those times I'll still drink, like say on the weekends, if I go with some friends and, you know, we're having some drinks, but I won't really have more than a couple Whereas if I'm not in heavy training, I might have a beer with dinner or, or maybe even two beers at night. And I don't really feel that there's a problem with that. But, you know, once you start having more than two or three as a, as a grown man, you you might start running into dehydration problems and it messing with your sleep and things like that. But no, I'm I'm glad to hear that a professional athlete has a healthy relationship with alcohol and, you know, you're not advocating T-tolling and being uh, someone who avoids it at all costs. No,
1: it just—it's just like I said from the outset. I think any, you know, I'm I'm just a firm believer in balance. Like whether you know nutritionally, life in general, you know, and that that's what that's what my wife and I I believe stand for in the endurance uh, in our respective endurance <clears throat> communities, and it's what our it's what our, you know, our, our company stands for with, you know, with our food principles with, with picky bars and with, and now with picky oatmeal. And, um, you know, I, I think that that it's just, uh, I think long-term, long-term balance and consistency leads to greater overall performance and health and happiness than any type of, you know, extreme or semi-extreme that you try to follow for some small period of time.
0: I could probably summarize this whole podcast with that one final sentence, (laughs) Jesse. Yeah, there you go.
1: That's your clip in the intro eventually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I I should probably use that. Now, now, look, one of the things I want to talk about is the fact that, you know, you exercise way more than the average person. And, right. you know, someone like you, uh, someone like me, we probably have genetics that predispose us to not gaining too much weight, even if yeah. even if we are eating a lot of junk. Um, how should the average athlete think about eating for performance after you've had all this experience tracking your diet for a week and being, uh, you know, a, a high-level runner and now a triathlete?
1: I – it's – it's well, you know, I mean, I go back to that same thing, balance, you know, um, and just trying to feel like you're aiming for, uh, for a B plus, you know, like a good – being a good, healthy uh, person but not overdoing it to an extreme. Um, I think – one thing that also happens with the typical person uh, out there, whether they're, uh, you know, a, a beginner athlete or or just an active person or an aspirational athlete trying to achieve a, a goal of some kind, is I think food. We have a tendency of, for food to be like over conscious. Um, is, I don't know if that's a real term (laughs) or not, but people overthink it and there, you know, before we had diets and before we had, um, fads and before we had calories and before we had, uh, you know, um, people telling us every which way how to eat and, and, and what to do, we had, um, we had the food sources that were available to us and we had hunger, and, um, and when you were hungry, you ate. And when you stopped being hungry, you, you pretty much stopped and you ate the stuff that was available to you. And that was probably pretty low processed, um, generally healthy foods that were a mix of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And, um, and I think one of the problems with the society that we have today is, 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 the kind of overthinking it from an athlete standpoint and and not just going off of hey am I hungry am I eating like basic good stuff and if I'm eating when I'm hungry and I'm not when I'm not and I'm basically eating good stuff then I'm probably I'm probably getting that b plus right there alone without worrying about any of it simplicity wins I love it you know it really is I mean it's just like just you know like Calories this and calories that, like, your body knows more than the FDA does, than some crazy diet does, than, some, than a book does, you know, like, your body knows what it needs, um, and to some, like, unconscious level, your brain does as well, And if and if you try to be a little bit more intuitive rather than, like, overly conscious and overthinking about it, I think a lot of people can save themselves a ton of time hassle and like mental anguish um which i think can ultimately lead to messed up eating habits as well um and so that that those are the things that i try to think about when i'm myself even overthinking it you know just be like man you know what do, what do you feel and then respond to how you feel because you, your body knows better than anything else
0: I love that. I'm always telling runners to run by feel, and now yeah. we're now we're telling runners to to eat by feel.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: It was interesting too. I saw the other day on Twitter your wife Lauren um, Lauren Fleshman. Yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, she shared a ranking of a bunch of diets, and she made uh, a very interesting comment that a lot of uh, folks that she knows who are high-level athletes are following the diets that are ranked at the bottom of this list for you know various reasons. So I I always think that's really interesting to see how athletes try to overthink things and make things way more complicated than they really need to be.
1: Totally. I mean, diets are really, <clears throat> you know, are really uh, just there. It's just an interesting psychological kind of study, you know how the getting on a diet makes you feel good about what it is that you're doing because it gives you a concrete kind of plan and whatever else to follow. Um, but like I said, there's all kinds of like, you know, the effectiveness of that and the stickiness of that is definitely up for debate, but there's a psychological thing that makes you feel good about doing it. And that's why diets, uh, come and go and why, Um, you know, people make uh, lots of money every, uh, year to three years when new diets are in and new fads are in and new products are in and, and new books and everything else. Um, and you know, we, Lauren and I just, like I said, we believe in kind of healthy balance and, and that's what we've built our, our principles around and our company's principles around as well.
0: I love it. And, and I love that you've talked several times over the last 45 minutes or so about the mental side of eating and the psychological component to things and how we really can't divorce what we're eating from how we think about what we're eating. And, and I think that's a really valuable way to think about our nutrition as athletes uh, and, and a way to think just about you know, how long term we really want to stay with a particular diet or or way of eating because um, you're not going to be able to stick with a really strict diet forever.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, you know, and I and I like I said at the beginning, I have experience with trying to trying to do that. So I think a lot of my perspective is is born out of, you know, just born out of my own experience and considering myself a pretty, you know, tough, guy mentally and and physically have clearly created my whole life around kind of being, you know, pushing the limits of whatever it is. And, and even, uh, you know, doing that, you know, everybody cracks at, at some point. And I've just, and I've just found, you know, generally it's funny, you know, not to digress too much, but like I found that, uh, when I was really young, and I look at this generally with athletes as well. A young athlete finds success in pushing, pushing, pushing and getting better and better and better and optimizing, optimizing, optimizing. And then at some point, I believe you actually get worse with that mentality. And there, you, you reach like this next level where there's something about the confidence to be balanced and not pushing so hard to perfect that avoids you uh, breaking yourself, or like we talked about at the beginning, uh, you know, injuring yourself, or burning out, or whatever it is. And that that to me was kind of like the next phase of athletic enlightenment that I achieved. Really, not until my, like the second half of my junior year in college. Um, and then, uh, and then I experienced that for maybe a year and a half, two years as a collegiate runner, kind of running at a whole nother level above anything that I ever did in college, in high school and, 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 and at the first, at the beginning of college in, and in some ways less optimized around my diet and my training, being more flexible, being more intuitive. Um, and then, uh, and then I've since applied those kind of that outlook and that strategy to myself as a triathlete. And I think ultimately, in a in kind of a second birth of my athletic career, years and years later, because I didn't start racing triathlon until I was about thirty, um, you know, found a lot more success than I ever did uh, as a young athlete um, because of that kind of framework. So yeah you know i th- I think it's interesting it's a it's an interesting way to look at it, but you know that's a general principle for us uh for me uh, in guiding my life and my athletic pursuits
0: man i I think we could probably schedule a whole podcast on that last topic just by itself because I agree with you, and I think it's a really interesting way to look at not just how runners kind of look at their diet and optimizing different areas of their training, but kind of the big picture of their training. Cause I think, you know, when you're a beginner and you're trying to work up to being as competitive as you you possibly can, you know, there's, there's, constant drive to increase your mileage to run longer workouts to run faster workouts and that's a good thing for a long period of time and just like you jesse i feel like i kind of got to that peak my senior year of college it was finally when i was able to run high mileage consistently and for me that was about 80 85 miles a week And I was adding in a fair amount of cross training and the workouts were pretty much as hard as they were going to get, you know, there's kind of a limit to how many crazy grueling workouts you can do. And then at that point, once you've gotten to the point where you can run high mileage, you can do crazy workouts. At that point, the real focus, I think, in my mind is just not making bad decisions or eliminating training errors. Uh, So super pumped that that you brought that up. I think it's uh, it's almost like periodizing your entire career Um, totally and and that's maybe an interesting way to to look at it too
1: yeah definitely
0: all right jesse you are a pro triathlete you're the ceo of picky bars and you still made time to chat with us today so i really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to uh share your your thoughts and your experiences with the strength running community um now you're doing kona again this year in 2018 right um no i'm actually not oh you're not
1: yeah, no, I, uh, I have decided, uh, I haven't announced it, uh, anything yet, like kind of officially, at least from my own channels. Um, but you, you you and your listeners will know that I'm def- that I'm not doing Kona this year. Um, there's a couple reasons why, um, I, uh, I spent the last two and a half years, uh, focused on Kona and I think Kona is a great, part of you know it's clearly like you know the Super Bowl of triathlon it's a big big deal um and I'm really proud of the journey that I went through in you know qualifying for Kona twice and and winning some Ironmans and 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 having you know one decent ish day and one really tough day there Um, but I always knew Kona was going to be a, um, was never going to be like a great race for me, uh, because of the extreme heat there. And just like I said, me being, you know, there aren't too many guys on the starting line that even trimmed up or 170 pounds. Most of them are, are a lot smaller and that heat makes a big difference, the bigger you are. And, um, and so, you know, long story short is, uh, I'm just, I'm just excited. I want to go experience some other things. You know, I don't know how many more years I have, but there's a lot of other aspects to triathlon and experiences in triathlon that are well-known around the world that I have not been able to experience because of the focus on Kona and the massive undertaking it is to qualify for Kona. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm not going to do it this year. I'm going to do something else. Um, And and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to do Challenge Roth, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, many of which might not. Um, But it's the – I think the longest – either the longest or one of the longest running Ironman distance triathlons in the world. It's in Germany, and it's the most spectated triathlon in the world. They get hundreds of thousands of people line the course – uh, the bike and the run course and the swim course. And, um, and from, from what I've heard from, you know, people that have been in the sport a long time is that it's basically outside of Kona. It's pretty much like the one race in the world that it's like the real bucket list race. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to race that in July. It's also a, a fast and moderately, uh, the, the temperature is usually pretty moderate. Um, so it'll be, a, a, the first time for me, to race an Ironman distance race, uh, and try to race it really fast, which will be fun and a different challenge. And then, uh, and we'll kind of see what happens from there. And the nice thing about that is that I don't, with it, because I'm not doing Kona, I basically have, ex- I have 100% flexibility to do anything I want in my schedule. So I'm going to head down to Wanaka, New Zealand. I've never been to New Zealand. I'm going to race challenge Wanaka, which I've also heard is, is beautiful. And it's kind of, uh, I'm gonna race Wildflower again, and I guess my this year is gonna be like cool races and cool uh in cool places for me, and uh, just experiencing the best the sport has to offer.
0: Well, it sounds super exciting, and uh, I've been to the South Island of New Zealand, and if you can get down there and just enjoy yeah. some of the scenery and maybe get some runs or rides in on the trails there, it is absolutely magnificent. There's a reason why they filled Lord of the Rings there; it's because yeah, of that, exactly. It's just awesome. So uh, Jesse, thanks again. Um, If people want to follow your training and your race results for this year, where can we find you?
1: You can find me at uh, Jesse M. Thomas across all uh, or on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And I have a Jesse Thomas uh, triathlete or it might just be Jesse Thomas, but if you search it on Facebook, I've got a Facebook page. Those are the best places. And then my blog, I have... My blog has been updated, um, my blog usually gets updated uh, you know, six times a year or so. It's been a little bit less so because I've been doing so much writing for triathlete magazine, so there are a lot of articles on triathlete magazine stuff as well. But my blog is Leap Day Sports. I was a leap day baby born on February 29, 1980, so that's where the name comes from. And then also please uh, you know, check out my, my other career is this energy bar company that Lauren and I own. Uh, called Picky Bars. We're actually more than an energy bar company now. It's Picky Oats as well. We launched an oatmeal that's formulated specifically for athletes. We think it's a great product. It just launched um, this month on our website. Um, so I encourage people to check out our company and and check out uh, their social channels at Picky Bars um, as well. And we'll try to get actually, you know, uh, Jason, if you don't mind, we'll try to get a code, uh, to you guys for your email list or for your listeners or whatever as well. Um, so they can get a discount for for listening and, and checking us out there.
0: Well, cool, Jesse. Thanks so much for that. And uh, I'll if, if that happens, we'll put it in the uh, show notes and also in the intro and outro of the podcast here so that you guys have it. And Jesse, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Jason. Really appreciate it. And there is Jesse Thomas. This was a fun, practical conversation about fueling all the hard work we do as athletes. Clearly, it's critical for giving you the energy you need to perform, but it's also important for recovery. There are two sides to that nutrition coin, and performance and recovery really do go hand in hand. If you want to learn more about this topic, we do have a free course available at strengthrunning.com/ nutrition. I partnered with a registered dietitian to make Strength Running's nutrition material. If you want to learn more about this topic, we have a free course available at strengthrunning.com nutrition. I partnered with a registered dietitian to make Strength Running's nutrition material actionable and specific to runners. I think you're going to love the advice there. Finally, another big thanks to Health IQ. I wouldn't have been able to make this show without their support, and supporting athletes is what they do. I'm sure you don't need to know this, but the average runner is healthier than the average person. And that health advantage can also offer us financial advantages. That's because Health IQ recognizes that runners have fewer health risks and even a lower risk of early death. So they negotiate with life insurance companies to get runners lower rates. Yes, running can save you cash money on life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash strength running to see if you qualify for lower insurance rates. They've already awarded billions of dollars of coverage over the years, so get in on those savings while you can. And one more time, if you want to finally nail down your nutrition and learn not just how to eat for maximum performance and recovery, but what to specifically avoid that can be counterproductive, go to strengthrunning.com nutrition to learn more. Thanks again for listening to the show. We'll be in touch soon.